Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host for today, Emma Sandler, Senior Beauty and Wellness Reporter. Today, I'm speaking with Tristan Walker, the founder of Walker & Company, which houses men's shaving brand Bevel and hair care brand Form, both designed for people of color. Procter & Gamble notably acquired Walker & Co. in 2018. Tristan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to tell us first about your entrepreneurial journey and background, because I think you have such an interesting story to tell. And I think you had also said that you never really intended to get into the beauty and grooming industry. That's for sure. Um, You know, entrepreneurship for me started out of necessity, quite frankly. Um, And it was a necessity, a desire to get paid. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I realized at the earliest age that uh, there are a few ways to do it. Um, Three ways in my case. Uh, first was to work in finance, which I wasn't very good at. Uh, second was to be an actor, an athlete, which I wasn't very good at. Uh, and the last was just entrepreneurship. Uh, and, you know, frankly, the, the day I came to that realization is the same day I applied to business school um, at Stanford out west. Uh, and it wasn't until I, I moved out there back in 2008 that I figured this was going to be my life and my future. Uh, so it really started out of necessity um, and then ended up being something that I actually liked. <laughs> was there like a crystallizing moment for you when you're like, all right, entrepreneurship it is? Um, well, it was solidified for me uh, in fall 2008 because I, you know, I landed on Stanford's campus in Palo Alto. Mm-hmm. I was 24. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw other 24-year-olds really making a lot of money, um, but also in tandem with that, like fundamentally changing the world. And there's an energy there um, that was very palpable for me. I, I had no idea uh, really about Silicon Valley and what it had to offer. Um, and the growth potential of it for me was going to be my future. Um, and that first year of business school, I had the great fortune to you know, work at two technology companies fairly early, uh, Twitter and Foursquare. Um, and that really set me on this journey and path to having that thrilling feeling on my own, uh, you know, reaching out and starting my own company. Yeah, we'll have to circle back on your experience at Twitter. Ben and I were talking about that earlier. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so with your presence in Palo Alto, I mean, I know that's where Walker & Co. first started, but then you moved to Atlanta in 2019. What inspired that move? A bunch. So by that time, I had already been in Palo Alto for about 10 years. And, um, you know, look, I mean, I have a company uh, that is trying to make health and beauty simple for people of color. Um, you know, Palo Alto is really lacking in that dimension. So whether from a consumer-based perspective, my ability to hire folks. Um, you know, we were even challenged by folks that wanted to work for the company but didn't want to live in Palo Alto. Um, but kind of most important, at least for me, is I think from a business perspective in Atlanta is where our consumers are and that's where the culture is, right? So I wanted to get as close uh, to that nexus as possible, but also personally for me. Um, you know, I have, you know, two black sons at home and I wanted them um, to, you know, be able to see what success can look like as the default state in the black community, right? Here in Atlanta, there's no shortage of black folks doing really well um, and celebrating that confidently. Um, And that was something that I could not afford them uh, in Palo Alto. Uh, So Atlanta made a hell of a lot of, um, it was a great choice, I think, you know, certainly for my career, uh, but also personally as well. And I think it's one of the better decisions that I've made in my lifetime. Do you think it's had a 
tangible impact on bevel and form by being in Atlanta? I think so. I mean, naturally from a recruiting perspective, absolutely. I mean, you know, since we had moved here, um, you know, most of the folks that we've recruited either have lived here or have moved here because there is a strong desire from the types of folks that we hire um, to want to live in Atlanta. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mentioned Atlanta is one of our kind of largest cities from a consumer perspective. So being closer to the consumers, barbers, folks that we celebrate just makes it easier for us to know qualitatively the things that we should be doing right in support of kind of the culture, black culture. Bevel is more than just the products we sell. Um, We have these core beliefs that really guide everything that we do and being close to the consumer base and community to help hold us accountable has really served us really well. You know, when you think about things like affordability, um, representation, um, I think Atlanta provides and provided an excitement for me uh, here in from 2019 when I moved uh, that I felt in 2008 in Silicon Valley when I moved there. The only difference, at least for Atlanta, is that it's in every industry and not just tech alone. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only person who feels that about Atlanta. Yeah, you had said something interesting in another interview that business had been technology-led for the last decade, but that you believe moving forward, it will be more culture-led. What exactly do you mean by this? I'll give you an example. Facebook was founded in the year 2004, right? Let's assume that it was founded in the year 2040. When folks of color are the majority of this country, would it be Spanish language first or English first? Oh, that's a good that's a good question to pose. Now, now I'm, I'm pretty sure um, that you know folks at the top there are too busy to have to think about this, but I think that that's a mistake. Um, and I could totally see in 20 years' time, the folks that aren't thinking about these things aren't going to be around. Um, the world is changing. You know, I've dedicated my life, frankly, to three themes of the world that I think are colliding in at a perfect time. Um, And I think that these are the most important themes that I will focus on, but I think other folks need to as well. First is the demographic shift in this country and the cultural influence of people of color within it. Second, technology and its impact on not only businesses, but also is mapped back to this demographic shift. How do we equip these curators of cool with the tools they need to spread that cool? And then lastly, I love great brands, right? Um, Because I think the best brands could really be a force for good in the world. And everything that I've done over the past decade and God willing, the next five decades are really in full embrace of those three themes. And I have yet uh, to hear anyone rebut that point of view. Um, you know, and I really think about this audience, especially the one that we serve at Bevel Walker Company, um, folks of color being the least served, but most economically significant consumer population in American history. Um, so if you map it back to that Facebook example, that's the bet that I am willing to make. And I think culture is the future. So tell me a little bit more specifically about how you're taking those three major insights and kind of translating them or at least turning them into actionable efforts from Bevel. Because I know that there has been some interesting community outreach, especially around activism and mental health. But tell me a little bit more, like what are some core examples of of how you're taking that and and putting it into these brands? Yeah, so, um, you know, when I think about Bevel, for example, and this this isn't something that we're just starting in 2022. This is from when we started the company in 2013. Um, but Bevel has a few core beliefs, right, that guide every single thing that we do. First, you know, we want to prioritize the needs of Black consumers first, right? 
Um, second, we really believe that um, uh, you know consumer centricity requires a problem solution approach. We only make things that solve kind of this core group's problems, right? If you think about Bevel, it's a kind of perfect example of that. I think we are a brand that wants to transcend race and nationality, right? Um, you know, we believe that we're working with a consumer group that inspires, um, that is truly generational in nature and um, really appreciates the successes and the trials that folks have, uh, that have come before us have given us, right? Um, now, you think about some of those beliefs, it's not as consumer, it's more kind of community-led and it just guides some of our kind of community outreach efforts. Um, so yes, we sell shaving products and shaving creams and skincare products and body products, et cetera. Um, but also, you know, when we think about mental health support for the community, we get involved. A number of years ago, um, you know, we partnered with uh, the mental health app Headspace, right? To offer kind of free memberships to folks within our community, right? Uh, around the time uh, when we were having this reckoning around what it means uh, to be black in this country, right? And the amount of kind of un or burden pressure um, that kind of uh, we have to show up in the world with, right? Um, around that same time when COVID was kicking off, you know, a lot of students had to kind of work from home, right? Uh, so we partnered with Urban Prep Academies in Chicago uh, to offer kind of laptops uh, for uh, students that were in need, right? You think about remote, learning, right? Um, you know, there are disparities of outcomes for uh, students of color who might not have access to these technologies, right? Um, so while Bevel, for example, is a personal care um, company, we also have to think about the care of our community in a way that's truly authentic. And as I talk about that kind of brand-led force for good work, this is exactly what I mean. Uh, Bevel really started as like this ESG native entity, right, that sold things. Now, you mentioned um, the laptop outreach like that was in 2020 as students started working remotely. I am curious, like, have you thought of any significant changes since March of 2020 in terms of how you want Walker & Co. to show up for its communities and end users? No, we haven't had a change because we've been doing this since we started. Bevel has always really been good at doing three things uniquely well. First, acknowledgement. Right, um, acknowledgement of what it means to show up as a black man or woman uh, or other, frankly, in society, right, um, and really shining light on on those experiences authentically. Uh, second, once we've acknowledged, I think we've been uniquely good at modeling the way. Bevel and Walker and Company operates off a set of values that really guide our decision making. I mentioned some of our core beliefs, but there are some values that we have: courage, inspiration, respect, judgment, wellness, and loyalty. Um, that you know make us question the things that we do, but also provide space and room and language for our consumers and community to hold us accountable. And once we've acknowledged, once we've act, uh, once we've modeled the way, only then can we actually act and provide space to do things like the kind of mental health support or the laptops for urban prep academies, or most recently, um, this kind of wonderful anti-recidivism um, kind of campaign and pledge uh, that we've been able to um, bring to the community. Uh, so there's been no changes because we have operated this way as the default state um, uh, for the company. Since you mentioned also modeling that way forward since the very beginning, 
you know, it's been nearly a decade since Bevel first launched. And I think the landscape to some degree has, uh, you know, perhaps changed for BIPOC consumers. Do you feel like there's been a genuine progress for underserved customers with the help of Bevel and other brands? I think so. What I'm most proud of, and like, I'm, I'm going to pat myself on the back and our team. Please do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, I mean, you walk down certain aisles in the mail aisle, it looks different than it did five, six, seven years ago. I think Bevel, in partnership with kind of some of the customers that we have, the Targets, the Walmarts, et cetera, have really done the work with us to make that so. Feeling a comfort um, in shopping in the same miles that everybody uh, is deserving of. Um, to have high quality products um, uh, that work, <laughs> right? For folks that uh, probably look different than your mass consumer. Uh, the number of new brands, when I talk about this ESG native vibe, right? Um, brands are telling better stories now uh, that aren't so surface level. So I think Bevel's cultural impact has been fairly profound and, and has really um, outpaced the competition, but I think anchored the competition uh, to meet that standard that we expect of ourselves. Yeah, you've you've helped create the benchmark in and of itself. And now you can have sort of the healthy competition of of raising and exceeding that benchmark. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's the point, right? I mean, it's unfortunately there's really been no standard or benchmark for hundred plus years as this industry's been around. And, and now we have the good fortune to be able to scale that impact with one of the most important companies in the history of the world, Procter and Gamble. Uh, that has joined us in this journey of acknowledgement, modeling, and action. Um, and, you know, we're not going to let up. Has the business changed at all since P&G acquired it? I think so, in so much as our being a hell of a lot more disciplined about how to scale our businesses. Um, you know, we continue to grow our relationships with our retail partners, right? Um, our supply chain, for example, you know, and unless you've been under a rock, Every company has been challenged by supply chain over the past year. I don't know how we would have navigated it without the support of like a Procter & Gamble that has kind of global scale and scope, right, um, to do so. So I think Procter & Gamble, the relationship has worked really well because they've allowed us to be us uh, without much interference. And we get to leverage their infrastructure in a way that allows us to be us, but even better. And... Um, you know, that gives me great excitement about the future and a promise uh, for what we can do. I mean, Procter & Gamble serves 5 billion people around the world every single day, right? The majority of whom look like me. <laughs> so our ability to scale our impact um, with a company that already has the scale to allow our impact to scale, um, I, I think paints a pretty rosy picture for the future. With all of that in mind, tell me a bit more about the next 12 months, what's on the docket for Bevel, for example. Yeah, I mean, with the at the running the risk of sounding like a broken record is more of the same, right? Bevel is very good, not only at engaging the community, but making great products that work. And not only that, um, you know, there's the goop for all the soft good stuff, right? We're in shave, skincare, body, hair care, right? Um, we're not just that shaving brand anymore. So we've proven that we can make the highest quality products across all of our um, kind of products. We just check the reviews on that. But also we have the ability to kind of level up into hardware, right? So name kind of companies that can do soft goods with excellence, uh, e-commerce, social media, direct-to-consumer stuff with excellence, 
hardware with excellence with the kind of small team that we have. We just recently launched um, a product called the Bevel Pro, uh, which is a follow-on to um, you know our fairly successful Bevel Trimmer product. And we believe that we made the, the world's most advanced grooming tool. And we did that inside of 12 to 18 months. Like we are building a flywheel of product excellence that is complemented by our flywheel of community outreach excellence. And I think that that is a, uh, a platform and an energy that's hard to compete against. Yeah, I can see your Silicon Valley history coming forward as you speak about like software versus hardware. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and it's and it's it's interesting that you bring that up. I mean, because um, I I have to think that way. The world is different. The world has changed. The default state of business is technology now. You know, it's no longer something that we can talk about separately, right? So, to your earlier question around kind of being culture led versus tech led. The reason I don't even bring tech into the conversation because it's already here, right? right if it's right. not your default state, you've already failed. Yeah, it's like the backbone of every company. It's why Correct. companies like, I don't know, a sweet green are like, oh, we're a tech company that exactly. also sells salads. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Now, I wouldn't go so far as to say that like we're a technology company. Right. We just, um, we take what's there and just leverage it better. Yeah. So is there anything for form that's worth mentioning as well? I understand there's some reformulations happening there, but I'd be interested in knowing what's been going on. Yeah, nothing to update there. We've been kind of really um, heads down and focused on making Bevel even more excellent, particularly post-acquisition. Mm-hmm. Uh, but form, form also gives us great excitement. I mean, we launched a number of years ago. It's just like a bit of a micro test to see if there's kind of energy and excitement and the thing that um, is just so funny to me is I still get kind of angry DMs from old customers in the past who like are just trying to figure out where is it? When is it coming back? When is it coming back? And I'm just Scouring so disappointed. Scouring eBay probably. That, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> literally. Um, and I just want to tell them like, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. Um, so so more to stay tuned there. But yeah, I think now we're finally in a position where, all right, post kind of acquisition, we're going to continue to scale our impact in mm-hmm. the way that we know how to do best. Yeah, but there's also such a particularly exciting moment with hair care and the textured mm-hmm. hair care space. Even today, I saw that Helen of Troy acquired Curl Smith. So yeah. there's a huge appetite for multiple different players um, and as well as, of course, consumers. Yeah, I mean, 2040 versus 2004. Yeah, that's it, a good It applies to every industry. Yeah. So something else culture related that I wanted to pick your brain about is you had said before that, you know, you think the 15% pledge that beauty retailers have shared as a goal to have at least 15% of their product assortment be from black owned or black offended brands um, was really falling short uh, because to your very valid point, black people make up more than 15% of the cultural influence in the U.S., So I'm wondering, like, as you kind of think about those two issues or those two things, what or how would you like to see retailers approaching the inclusivity and representation topic on their shelves? Yeah. So the the first thing I say, and I I appreciate the question, is, first of all, the 15 percent pledge is a wonderful start. I mean, what Aurora and the team over there have done has been really nothing short of profound. And I have to give a lot of kudos and flowers for Um, what they've been able to inspire, uh, not only in the industry, but the action, right? So if you remember uh, my talking about acknowledgement, right, we need to acknowledge kind of what's what, right? What's literally right in front of us when we walk down those aisles. 
Um, and then I think the 15% pledge folks have really modeled the way and acted in a way that's truly inspiring. But, you know, my point of view is I think retailers need to think about what's next. Um, and we, we are not 15% of the cultural influence. We're the majority of it. In fact, three quarters of all Americans believe black consumers lead all culture, right? So it maybe begs the question, you know, it, or it, I would like retailers to stretch themselves even more and maybe ask, why shouldn't our aisles be 75%, right? Versus 15. Um, and that's an interesting thought exercise that might inspire them to think differently about retail period, right? Um, so I would like more retailers, more brands to acknowledge that cultural influence a little bit more transparently. Um, and I think if they acknowledge it, not only transparently or authentically, I think that there's a lot of room between 15% and 100 yeah. What other opportunities do you think the beauty industry has to exceed where it is presently? I mean, when we were talking about benchmarks, how they didn't exist before, but now we can set a benchmark and exceed it. I, I'm curious what you think or what you feel should be like the focus right now. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, um, who's making these decisions? <laughs> you know, Walker Company, we have a company since our inception that's been majority people of color, majority black women in positions of leadership at my company, right? So the things that we make are the things that we use. The way we engage our community is the way that we'd want to be engaged ourselves. Um, and that's because our employee base reflects the diversity of the consumer base that we serve. Um, so I think a lot of this can be um, resolved by hiring more folks who reflect the diversity of the world, right? Um, by every dimension. And again, that starts with that acknowledgement, modeling and action, <laughs> you know? First you have to acknowledge that internally you don't look representative. Um, so great that you've acknowledged it. What are you gonna do in a structured systems way <laughs> to change that? And look, I think consumers are forgiving that sometimes this stuff takes time. Large companies take time to pivot, but if you've acknowledged it and provided a plan, right? And a modeling, then we'll give you the time and the grace. And now you need to act. If any of those fails, you will. Um, and it puts you in a position where you can't ask, hey, what if our aisles were 75% Black-owned companies? You know? Like, what does that mean? Um, so I think every the external starts internal for me. Um, and I think that that's something that each of the companies that are in this space can focus on and consumers ultimately will hold them accountable because again, 20, 2004, 2040, uh, consumers lead the way. Um, whereas in the past brands have. Do you think of Walker and co still as having a kind of startup mentality, especially now that it's owned by PNG and as you've put it, you know, you've become more disciplined, you've really scaled. Um, so I wonder like how you kind of think about bringing some of that Silicon Valley approach still into a company that's well-established at this point. Yeah, that's why, I mean, that's why I think the relationship works so well. Um, you know, PG lets us do our thing. Um, and, you know, around the time we were just negotiating a deal, I said how important that was. And I said, the day that I no longer feel that that's the case is the day I'm no longer around. It's, you know, three and a half years later in founder's years, that's like a long time. Um, like and, dog you know, years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a long time, you know, and I think that that's only the result of their commitment and my own and our own. Um, 
to support. And I think that there's a willingness to learn from us in the same way that we're willing to learn from them. Um, and I'm very blessed and fortunate um, to be able to be supported by a leader within Procter & Gamble, Alice Keith, who's the CEO of All Beauty, who is a complete rock star and a superstar, who has a startup kind of mindset herself, right? But runs a very large business, uh, but has um, the risk-taking mentality um, that makes our relationship and partnership work really well. So I think because we get to operate as autonomously as we do, um, I like to think about Walking Company as a startup uh, that has a little bit more funding <laughs> than we would have otherwise um, in infrastructure, frankly, um, which you know allows us to focus on the things that we do well. Uh, in my time at, as a CEO of a startup, I spent 75% of my time thinking about where capital was going to come from. And I win all that time back now. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about like that transition for yourself, not necessarily just the business and how it's changed with PNG, but you as a leader. Um, I think that's a great question. Um, I don't think the acquisition has um, changed the way I think of myself as a leader outside of just, you know, being more disciplined around how I read a P&L or balance sheet and that sort of thing. But um Look, I mean, it's just three and a half years more that I'm a leader during a global pandemic, during a racial reckoning, um, elections, and like there's a lot that happens outside of the workday that I still need to think about in my leadership as a CEO. So if there's anything that I think I've appreciated most in the past three and a half years and like I'm saying this, one would have to kind of check with my colleagues, but I think that this is true. I think my um, capacity for empathy has expanded in a way that I would not have anticipated previously, right? Because um, let's remember, um, I'm still a black CEO, uh, but before that, I am a husband, a black father, right? Friend, colleague, supporter, right? So there are lives that each of us at our company leads that are outside of the scope of Walker and Company and I also have to recognize when folks show up every single day, they're bringing themselves to work as well. Um, and everybody's dealing with something, right? Uh, and I need to provide that room and space for either them to cope and deal with that uh, on their own pace or, or also provide kind of support and resources to help them do so. And myself too, right? So I think the expansion of my capacity for empathy is one that um, I didn't expect uh, but also I am thankful for. And it's interesting too, because over the last year or two, since the onset of the pandemic, really, there's been a really big narrative shift in the United States workforce culture about like, what's the relationship we have with work? What does work-life balance look like, especially if you work from home? And so it's interesting what you're saying about bringing more empathy, because at the end of the day, yes, you're you know, responsible for the PL, you're also responsible for the work culture. And so like when other people might be trying to almost like lean out and like create a clearer divide between work and life or reevaluate their relationship with work in some other way, you're actually, it's almost like you're bringing more of yourself into it because you have to create this environment for all the other people below you. Yeah. And look, I mean, I, I tell folks a lot, um, values is important to me and hopefully to us for that reason. 
there are a lot of unhappy people in their jobs. And I think a lot of the reason is because there's a difference between uh, those folks' personal values and what the company purports, you know? And it's nirvana when there's a bit of a match. Um, so one of the first bits of advice I give folks who might be facing that is write down your own personal values, right? So, so for us, for example, I mentioned the six, wellness is one of them. And the definition is like, if you're not taking care of yourself or your family, you're not taking care of the business, right? Um, so look, if you need to take your paternity, maternity leave, and it needs to be 12, 16 weeks, do it. Like, I mean, we advocate for that. I did it, right? And I set that precedent. So you should too, you know? Um, you know, if you need to take your kid to the dentist, go do it. If you need to go to the dentist, go do it. Um, and I think I... Look, I mean, since we started the company, I'm nine years older, I'm nine years more married, I have two children, I, you know, my life changes too, and I have expectations uh, for what I should um, have grace for, right? Uh, and what I expect people to have grace for me for. Um, so any of these things that I try to, uh, as promulgate throughout the organization, I try to think if I were working for me, like... What are the things that would make me leave? And it would be inflexibility around values alignment. Hmm. As you kind of reflect on the past nine years since starting Bevel and, and Walker and companies, do you think about that at all? Like, do you reflect on sort of uh, if you wish you could have been able to like do that sooner or done more at the beginning? And I'm kind of curious as you think about coming into a decade, like the lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah, look, I mean, I um, I don't play Monday morning quarterback on this stuff, right? Like, um, the reason I am where I am now is because I had to go through those things. And, you know, I, I, I share that my experience has been fairly unique because I think I've seen everything as a CEO, like all the pluses and the minuses. And, you know, there are a lot of folks that can't deal with such a binary kind of day-to-day. But at least for me, I, I, the only reflection that I have is I get to go through something that 99.9% of the world does not go through, right? And it just makes me all the wiser, not only as a CEO and leader, but also, you know, in the personal context as well. So I can't think of any decision that I would have made differently in the past because it might change my point of view of what we're talking about right now. So the way I think about it is if I ever were to do something again, right, at least I can kind of take these principles that I've learned and start afresh, Right. Um, a little bit wiser. Um, but yeah, I, I, my Walker company, we got enough work to do to reflect on all the mistakes that I had made in the past. Um, I think would be a bit of a waste of time. Uh, and I try to create systems to provide our people with the scope and language to hold me accountable uh, to continuous improvement. And I get that too, because it's Walker and Company is in a good place. You're in a good place. So like, why try and dig up something to have like a lesson learned or like a regret? I wish I'd done this type of thing. Like you're in a good place. So like, why, why do that? Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's no reason to dwell in regrets. In fact, like, I think that the blessing for me are the trials we had to go through, right? Like now I went through them and now I have a point of view about how to go through them if I ever had to experience again. Um, and look, I mean, some of this does become a bit pattern recognition, um, which I think I am now old enough to be able to anticipate things and see things. But again, if I had changed things back then, perhaps I'd be naive and have a bigger blow up now, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. 
So tell me, when you think big picture, when you're thinking 2040, obviously, like you had a very clear vision for bevel and for form. Um, but I do wonder, like, as you look out for the next several years leading these companies, what are you looking at next? Or what are you hoping to try and do next? Uh, for bevel and form? Um, you know, the thing that I'm just most excited about is like continuing, you know, as, as, as much um, impact and influence that we've had, there still aren't that many people who know about us or that we exist. I mean, just think globally. I mean, there are, you know, seven to eight billion people uh, in the world, um, majority of whom are people of color, majority of whom have no idea who I am or what we represent. Um, so our ability to actually go and scale what we've done, even if we just kind of rinse and repeat, <laughs> right, and localize, um, that gets me excited that, like, we have a big opportunity in front of us, a really, really big one. Um, and I think our formula is working, right? I just want other people to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Tristan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit that button.